Welcome to Door to Door Insider, where we take a deep dive into the mindset, the why, and the how of the industry's top entrepreneurs, leaders, recruiters, and salespeople. We are the Door to Door Nation. Here is your host, Lee Barber. Let's go. All right, gang, welcome to season four of Door to Door Insider. Today's special guest is John Taylor. John was born and raised in Las Vegas. He has a bachelor's in accounting from BYU. He has a PLD from Harvard Business School. He's on his 16th year with Vivint Incorporated. He has run teams for Vivint selling alarms, smart home, internet, and solar. John, welcome to the show, man. Hey, grateful to be here. This is, this is a big deal for me. Um, you, as a lot of the guests have heard over the years that I've been doing podcasts, um, are my original mentor. And if anybody's, so we're not going to cover, um, your early years because we already did that on the podcast with Zach Ross. Okay. So if anybody wants to go back and listen, um, hosted by Zach Ross, the door knocker podcast season one, I think like episode one or two. It's early. So if anybody wants to go back and listen to some of John's early years, door knocking, what it was like for him when he was a rep, go back and check that out. I'm excited for this because, um, in my opinion, you're one of the most high-level thinkers in the game. You're very strategic. You've been pivotal in my career. We've had um, a tremendous relationship, in my opinion, full of you know the things that people go through in relationships, mm-hmm. all of it teaching me lessons, man. So just honestly and truly, thank you for coming on, and I appreciate you being here. Hey, thank you. So I got some questions, um, and you know we were talking earlier, and I just – I just like shooting the shit with yeah, you, man. I, I just love it. So see where it goes. Yep. Yeah, so some of the, um, I guess this is a great way because this will be, you know, posted on social media. And one of the things like that I've tried to maintain, and I, I had a weird thing um, that I started years ago, and it would be: Would um, John post this? Would Casey post this? Would Todd post this? And so I've been really aware of like my my public reaction and how I am on social media. Um, and I, are you even on socials anymore? No, it's been about two years since I've been off. So let's talk about that to yeah. kind of start with, because I know you have your own reasons for that, mm-hmm. but I see in, like in our world, like I see a lot of positivity, mm-hmm. but I also see it used as like a really negative aspect, um, in, in the industry. And it's like, I'm not a huge fan of it, but why or why not social media for you? What's kind of like, what's, what's your opinion on it? Um, I mean, social media has its benefits to a lot of different people. Um, it stops serving me the net. Po- I started personally having more net negatives than net positives. And what mm-hmm. I mean by that is I saw myself uh, endlessly scrolling, spending a lot of time on it. And then um, I think I heard from Tony Robbins about a story he ta- talked about, about um, how important it is to protect the information going into your mind. Mm. And I realized, especially with all these algorithms, um, I don't, uh, you're not, choosing I'm not in choosing in what's mind. coming into my mind and what I'm seeing. And yes, you choose what you stop at, what you look at, what you want to go read further on. Um, but I just realized, um, I wanted to control my own life, not mm. have it be controlled by an algorithm. And so for me, yes, I, I, anytime I share it with people too, it's so funny because a lot of them are like, yeah, and they almost apologize for the use. Mm. Hey, I'm working on, I'm, you know, I just use it for work or I just slow down. Like there's almost a self admission that we know it's bad for us, like eating Cheetos, mm-hmm. right? 
Um, and and we want to justify our guilty pleasure. And I have no judgment towards anybody who's on yeah, it. No idea. It's just not something that serves me right now. Like mm. right now, I've been 120 days without caffeine. Um, not because I think it's bad, or it, it just it stops serving me. I saw myself having more anxiety, being more anxious. And actually, what helped me out the caffeine one mm -hmm. is. Uh, I actually Googled because I started reading like teens were going to 7-Eleven buying packets of caffeine and snorting it. And so yeah. I just started going down a rabbit hole and I actually Googled and I, I'm like, uh, what does powdered caffeine look like? Mm. And it looks like cocaine. Really? It looks like cocaine. And again, people are <laughs> lining it up and snorting it. And when I realized that caffeine no longer – it, I used to think it actually gives me energy. And mm. when I realized, no, chemically how it works, it just – blocks a chemical that makes you feel tired what is that it's the um, I, I know which one you're talking about i, I didn't I, I didn't realize it and so when it, there was two things that realizing it actually is not giving me the benefit i thought it was mm. coupled with it's actually a drug mm. it, 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 there was something seeing it lined out cut with a razor that like planted something in my head and just for for me it was like okay this is another thing i can start getting rid of and so it's more just a pattern of looking at my life, seeing what sort of behaviors are serving me at that time that wasn't serving me mm. and get rid of it. And it's a practice I continue to do. What's another thing, bad habit that I have. And I just keep inching it forward. Now I'm trying to work on sugar and you know, I love sugar. We all love sugar. So this is, this is, this is why I just love like roll tide with you because um, I just love having these conversations. Mm -hmm. So a kick that I've been on like is, um, you know, I saw a video, I can't remember the guy's name, but he does like all the DNA stuff for Dana White. And he's, he was talking about the three day fast and how they mm -hmm. help you. And, you know, a couple months ago, maybe six months ago, you know, I don't drink or use mm -hmm. drugs. And, you know, I, I really always try and escape the fact that, you know, people know that, you know, I, I'm formerly alcoholic, but I don't, I don't believe that that has anything to do with why I don't drink and use drugs today. I, I, I believe that the reason that I don't personally is because I'm a higher frequency pe person and I have a bigger purpose in life. And I've been, you know, I see a lot of this going on in the industry from, you know, the rep who goes home at eight o'clock at night and smokes weed or drinks on the weekends. It, and I'm not, again, I'm not judging it, but a lot of the stuff in my life, I wonder, does it serve me? Does it serve my bigger purposes? Um, and so I love this topic because when we're talking about stopping caffeine and, you know, stopping sugar and going on three day fast, it's it almost the pinnacle of like that, like cleanse and what does serve me and how do I feel better? So like in your experience, what you've gone through, what are the changes from how you used to treat your body in your mind? And like, what have you seen those changes enact in your mind, in your body, in your spirit, the yep. more, you know, pure that you're, what served you has become to the forefront of what you do. Yeah. So, I mean, just because you're vulnerable, I'll do the same. Mm. I've also recreational tried a bunch of different stuff and, sure. and, and, and gone through my life and, and had plenty of experiences. Um, what's helped me recent was, um, I've been fortunate enough to f make enough money to where I am now set. Like as long as I, my financial advisor continues to, to caution me, the only way you're not set is if you fuck it up. Mm. Like I'm, I'm, I, I hit, I, but, and so like lately I've been really focused on, um, what kind of opened my eyes actually was I, I have a younger wife. She's mm. 11 years younger than me. There's an age gap. Mine too. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So there's, there's this age gap and I'm sitting there and I'm planning for retirement and I'm like, okay, great. Um, I, 
money, check. That's the, everybody just focuses on that aspect of retirement. I need X amount and I need to save and so on and so forth. So they've, everything's driven to money, money, money. And I found myself over the years doing a lot of habits that actually sacrifice life, mm. connection with family, friends, mm. community, and also my health in the pursuit of money. And so now that, and we all make that trade and we say, hey, when I have this, I'll work on that. Well, I actually am following uh, that trap, but I I now have been realized like I can pull off this like need for more in the financial side, mm. okay? And I'm starting to focus on, well, in retirement, what do I want that to look like, okay? Um, I don't want to just turn 65 and now I'm too tired to do all these different things. Um, I have a younger wife, which means um, I need when to actually be physically fit. I don't want to. I don't want her to be bored shitless when I'm 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 this old. And then also, like there was just something about like I am I'm religious, and yes, I believe there's a heaven and that it will be peaceful and beautiful to go there. But I don't want to die. Mm. I I'm not scared of death. I just don't want to die. I love my life so much. And I read this book called Outlive by Peter Atia or whatever. And, and his whole premise of his book is not just about living longer, but increasing your health span. Health span. And, 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 and uh, really, like ideally, if you can live longer and then all of a sudden die subtly mm. because, instead of over time, yeah. that's the ideal. It is ideal. And so I'm trying to – so everything about it now is like I'm just trying to increase my health. Mm. Um and and, and well, no, any way I, I can. Yeah, I I love that because you know when I when I talk about for me when I talk about a higher purpose, um, it, it you know listen everybody knows I'm a huge fan of Casey and like what, but some of the stuff that I picked up on originally from Casey, some of the stuff that's imprinted in my mind is the whole person paradigm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I'm older, I'm 48, so I'm a little ahead of the, I mean, I came in with you when I was mm -hmm. 41. Mm -hmm. They called me coach, remember, because mm -hmm. I came in with pants. But it's, it's, it's about like fulfilling that whole person paradigm so that when my grandchildren are there, that I'm cognitive, that I'm spiritual, that I've, during the entire time, I've shown my daughter what kind of man she should grow up and marry. So like in the process of, so to me, that's spiritual work. Mm -hmm. To me, that's mental fitness. To me, that's emotional fitness. And it's like dealing with life on life's terms, but then also, yes, being healthy enough. Cause I, you know, Misty's 11 years younger than me. So when I'm, you know, I'll be 50 mm -hmm. shortly in a year and a half. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and things get real really fast. And when you think about mental cognition, physical cognition, co physical ability, um, it's, it's really important. And so when I talk about a bigger purpose and not, it's not just like living life on life's terms emotionally, it is, it's the longevity. So I love that. Yeah. Just to hit on that a little bit. So there is this 11 years age gap. So mm -hmm. you, I, I forget what that dude's name is, Brian, what, whatever the, the dude that's trying to like reverse his biological yes, clock. He's spending like a right? million dollars like, a year. Yeah. So he's yes. like 19. So I'm like, look, I'm not going that excessive, yeah. but because of an 11 age gap, there's a, there's an internal side of me that like, okay, my wife's 25, I'm 36. Mm -hmm. Can I get my biological clock? Maybe not to 18, but can I get yeah. it like 25, 26, high thirties <laughs> or low thirties? Um, so that was one aspect. The other aspect is, uh, we want children mm. and I already have uh, a beautiful nine year old boy. Um, but we want more children. Yeah. And you forecast that out 18. I mean, I'd be 54. Yeah. 
And like, I started also getting tired. Like my son wanted to go to the park and I found myself sitting on the bench watching him play versus playing with him. Yeah. And I'm like, why I'm tired. I'm this. And, and so I, I didn't want that anymore. I want to be, I want to, I want my kid to have memories of me playing with him at the park, not watching him play. And if I'm going to have new children, that means an eight year old, if we had one today, that's 45 years old. Mm. I, I got to be fit. Got to be fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Just to kind of sum that all up in my mind. I, I love the way we started the conversation too, because one of the things that I've really focused on, I have no clue what's going on in the world. I, I stopped with, um, and, and I am very aware of the algorithm and I'm, I'm pretty light on social media just because it has a tendency to really like flash anger me. Like I see something, I'm like, Oh, that just, so I'm, I will post and this is not making, this is literally, I've had people, you know, tell me you never followed me back. And I'm like, I don't even look at the followers thing. I post my stuff to like get content out. And I, I love bringing my guests on and bringing that value to the community. But personally, I'm super conscious and cognitive of what's coming in. You know, I used to watch politics and who's this and who's that. And there's like, it's just like standing at the ocean, screaming at the waves to stop. I have no control over any of it. And all it does is, and then, you know, also for me on, on my spiritual and mental fitness journey, it is like what, what is, what serves me. So I love that. So let's get into the doors a little, man. I, um, how, you've been at Vivint for how many years? 16. I'm on my 16th year. It's a big deal. So one yeah. of my questions was, um, is buckling down. So, you know, our story, um, the only, you know, in, 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 in my life, sometimes I have judgment because of some of the ways that I've done things. You know, when I left you, um, I was with you for two years and, um, you know, I came in and talked to you and that was important to me. And, you know, because we've, we've had tough times in our relationship, but because we've always had a mutual respect for each other and done most of the things the right way, we're still friends. Mm -hmm. But the only reason I left alarms was because of solar. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was, I was 43 when I left alarms. I honestly don't know if I could have put another, I wasn't as good as some of the other guys selling alarms. And it was just, it, I felt like it was, it, it just was tough for me and solar was more attractive. Um, you know, and I was at Arcadia for over three years and I've been at legacy, but buckling down, um, has been to me, one of the most important things that I've done in my career. And the reasons that I've left where I left, I left Arcadia because the dealer program was so laborious, um, that it was really difficult to scale. When you look at it, like Vivint to me is just the absolute goat in alarms. They're just, I don't care what anybody says, but the reason that Vivint's so successful in my opinion is because they're so scalable. Mm-hmm. So the buckling down, you've seen, um, talk about waves. You've seen waves and waves and waves of humans making, um, different decisions in their career as you've kind of been the lighthouse at Vivint, right? You're there the whole time watching Mm -hmm. the industry move. Mm -hmm. What are, what are your perspectives on like buckling down, staying, um, the value of staying, why people should or shouldn't leave? Just kind of open that conversation a little bit. Um, in, in what context? Well, I mean, what, what has been the value of buckling down for so, you? So, so I, I was thinking about this earlier. Um, so you, you, you start to, what, what's been the value to me? It's been exponential. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you, you hear a lot of stories. Let's say Todd Peterson. How many times did he roll forward all of his money in his same investment? Mm-hmm. Or Elon Musk, he, he succeeds, but he rolls all of his capital forward over and over and over again. Um, for me at Vivint, 
I believe a lot of my financial success, uh, relationship success, success has all come from staying put and then rolling my equity forward. And I'm not talking just my financial equity, my equity in the relationships I have, mm. uh, my networks, my, uh, my understanding of the, of the company that I'm with, like the politics, all of it, I just keep rolling forward and it compounds on, on mm. each other by staying put fit. Uh, and so it's, it's hard though, because one, I also admit that I got extremely lucky. What I mean by this is I started with Vivint when it was Apex Alarms. Mm -hmm. At the time there was, I don't know, you could probably 50 plus alarm companies. I just think of this parlay. I just so happened to choose the one alarm company that, um, that is, that chose to pivot in a smart home the one alarm company that is still around of all those 50. Mm. And then after the, uh, 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 and, and the one alarm company that eventually got into solar and started a solar company, the one alarm company that eventually went public with both of those companies, the one alarm company that then took, uh, that then had those said companies um, be bought um, outright for cash. Mm. Uh, I mean, Sunrun got bought for a, a stock option. I mean, it was bought Vivint Solar for stock, but mm. um, completely built two companies that 100% got. And every single time, whether it was bought by Blackstone, um, uh, went public, uh, was bought by uh, uh, Sunrun, then bought by um, NRG, every single one of those became a liquidity event for me too. Mm. And so I, I admit I was extremely lucky, but that luck uh, also had a lot of foresight because I was tempted all along the way. So mm. it wasn't just luck. Yeah. It was a belief in, in the company, it was a belief in the leaders, and it was a belief that this could be something great for all those who stick around. And so it's, it's hard um, because I don't believe my situation is everybody's. Mm. Um, all in the same storm, but not all, all in the same, same storm. But I do think that like there's value in doubling in your existing relationships. Every time somebody leaves, and this is the tough part, um, they almost feel like there's a, a an emotional breakup. Like mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. You could have had a, a wonderful relationship that led to a divorce or an ending. And all that people talk about is like the nasty stuff. They mm -hmm. they forget that there was a beautiful moment. It's for the a same bit. as an actual divorce. Yeah, yeah. correct. And 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 I, uh, and it's sad because then you have to restart. You have to restart new relationships. And eventually, if you want really really big money, not short term money. I'm talking like like mm -hmm. not. And everybody's fo so focused on short term commissions. Mm -hmm. The real money that builds wealth is equity. Yeah. Um. And so, like cool you might be able to move to another opportunity get paid a little bit more but nobody's giving you equity in their company if you're not going to be around yeah. and they're not and when you leave a said company you're going to lose your equity mm -hmm. and so it's really there to just be upside for all those who stay put yeah so i, I love that i just love the way you put things so looking back like and i i guess just advice for because i know what i look for right like what should people be looking for in a company? Because I see, you know, we see the, the industry, especially um, solar now, mm -hmm. it's, it's like a, it's a, it's a circus. Mm -hmm. I mean, between the EPCs and EPCs going out of business mm -hmm. and the, these guys and the, those guys and the everybody. And it's like, you know, I think for, and I don't want to say inexperienced 
more inexperienced reps because they don't want to be condescending to anybody. But I think with different levels of maturity in the industry that most of us learn from doing things the hard way, mm-hmm. we get a good perspective on what's valuable. And mm-hmm. it's really similar to like my, I, I can equate it very similarly to like my personal relationships. Like I know what I value in you mm-hmm. as a human being. Like I know what matters to me about you. I know what matters to me about Misty. I know what matters like when I'm, when I'm engaging someone and we, we, you know, I, I start to consider someone a friend, whether I will engage in an actual friendship with that person, it's because they have a certain value set. They operate in a certain way. They, they think a certain way. And, and those are the things that are important to me. So for you, what do you think are the, the key things that people should be looking for in the industry to find like that long term? Cause I agree with you a hundred percent, like commissions, you know, your, your annual commissions are great. They can be a propulsion system for, you know, making annual investments and, 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 and doing some pretty decent things, but actual wealth in, and I'm a student of the game mm-hmm. and it's been pretty easy just to, if you just study Vivint, it's, it's a pretty easy case study to see what happens with some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. But what, what do you think is important? What should people focus on, um, outside of just the, 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 the current money when, when they're thinking about who are they with, what's important? Um, there's a, there's a lot, lot. there's a lot. Um, well, personally, I, I think, um, I, if, if, if somebody's serious about building their wealth, they have to get equity. Mm. They have to be in pursuit of equity. You might start as a rep and you might not be, your company might not have metrics for you to achieve it at the rep level, Mm. but do they have a program for you to receive it at a management level or higher we're um, working with the company where you can build equity um, means that they are invest. They, they actually want to invest in you long-term. They want to align your incentives with them um, to, to build something great. Mm-hmm. Or they also, uh, yeah. It, it, so, th- so for me that that's actually important. Um, and it also helps me view them as a company that's trying to build for the long-term. Mm-hmm. If a company is just so focused on the commissions and that's it, um, I have a little, lot of red flags and we could talk about maybe what those red flags are yeah. in, in that, in, in a second. Um, but yeah, you're, you're, you're not going to build wealth unless you get equity. So what are some of the red flags? There's a lot of red flags. So like, for example, a lot of the red flag, a company that's just focused so much on the commissions. Um, so, okay. When you're a business owner, um, you hear this whole thing being focused so on like the shareholders. They're like, we got to get shareholders return, fo- you know, focus on shareholders. There's a new frame of thought being pushed at like the Ivy leagues of how business should look at that. You should look at not just a singular stakeholder, such as shareholders, but you need to consider all the stakeholders in the company. Mm. Stakeholders in the company can include the shareholders, but they also include the employees. They also include um, the suppliers and they also include the customers. And maybe there's some other ancillaries and you're looking for somebody who's actually trying to balance uh, the needs of all of them. Um, that if they're a company's just so focused on shareholders, they might give a shit about their employees. Mm. They might actually give a shit about their, their suppliers and their customers. But for me, it's important to look at all of them from a business point of view, because if, if I, like Vivint, we don't actually do our own installs, let's say on energy. Mm-hmm. But if I know that an EPC that's on our, like let's say an EPC is on our platform and we get wind that they are, we, we're their only company. Mm. We got them by the balls. Mm. 
you could look at that situation and say, you know what, I'm going to take advantage of the situation and I'm going to demand a lower rate to grind them to get every ounce that I can out of this opportunity. But, but if I do so, I might actually put out the, comp the company that is my partner out of business. Mm -hmm. And so cool, you can go squeeze the juice today but the golden goose, you know, the whole golden yeah, goose, cool. You can pull it now, but you killed the goose long-term. Mm -hmm. And when any EPC goes out of business, it hurts all of us. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you got, you got to balance. So you need to be fair with your suppliers and guess what? They'll be fair back and you need to be fair to your employees and they'll be fair back. You need to be fair to the shareholders need to get a return. Sometimes reps and people are like, Oh, I, I need it. I need to make this. And they, they over negotiate. But why would I? Why would an EPC or why would an investor take all this risk for peanuts? Mm. They they want it. You right. want them to be healthy too. Yeah. And I think that was something I was taught by my mentors is early on, which is you want those above you to have healthy margins. Yeah, I love that, and I think that can be you know if if you um, go down to the rep level on that, I think it really comes down to the people that I see that the companies that I see that are healthy, um, they don't have the lowest red line. And I'm talking about the EPC mm -hmm. angle of it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the ones that have had the lowest red lines are the ones that have gone out of business. And it's because they're, they're running a bad business and mm -hmm. it's, and it is attractive short term. And, you know, I understand the play, the play is, you know, let's try and get as much market share by attracting as many people as we can to give them the lowest red line for the sh quickest short term play. But all that ends up happening is everybody gets hurt. The rep gets hurt. The company gets hurt. The industry gets hurt. The homeowner gets hurt. And there's no longevity in it. And then you have these, you know, people that are having all of these bad experiences. Mm -hmm. And that really goes up to the top level of the company and how they're um, handling it and performing it. And I mean, it, just to speak on Vivint, I mean, we've seen Vivint make just some some of the best moves in the industry mm -hmm. over term. Um, it's just, it's such a great case study. So well, I want to hit that. another piece on that yeah. too. Cause um, you said one of the red flags, like I actually believe people that have two aggressive comp plans, like are like are, is a red flag. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, Hey, look, we pay more than that company. It's a red flag to me because I know. Trading? Uh huh. Yeah. And, and, and it's a red flag for me for a couple of reasons. One, um, like I learned this with, in the alarm game, there was a very pivotal point in the alarm game. When I told you there was 50 plus alarm companies, but Vivint's the last one standing, mm -hmm. there was a decision where Vivint actually chose to become a premium provider or increase our pay. I'm sorry. Sorry. Increase the, what we were charging customers while everybody else was going cheaper. And what ended up happening when tough times came, we actually had the margins to survive and they didn't. They were running razor thin. And so that's the same thing. Like a company, you you want your leaders to make a healthy margin. You want the company to milk it, make a healthy margin. So when tough times comes, they can compress and absorb that shock mm. versus riding razor thin that like you sneeze wrong and the company implodes. Bankrupt. And so, yeah, I, I, I know we've, we've talked about that with, with maybe Legacy. I know Vivint, like there, there's somebody who can always bring a pace plan with somebody else that's better than ours. Yeah. But maybe on a financial account basis, but what do you not get with that? You also don't get the leadership. You don't get the development. You don't get the, the foresight that like, there's a lot done by leaders at the company, myself included to, to save people from mistakes mm -hmm. or, or push them in the right direction because we see where the industry's going 
uh, before it, it smacks them in the face. Yeah, and so you get all of that. It's not just all about how can I maximize my dollar? Like I was telling you before, if all I focus on is my financial side for retirement, then well, remember I've told you, there's yeah. all these other things. There's health. There's all these other things Mental, that are actually health, important. Physical to me. health, yeah. Yeah. I love that because, you know, I, I know, I don't know everything about your finances, but I do know that when you say you're doing good, you're doing well. And what I look at is I, I want to take advice personally um, from people that I trust that have done it, that are, you know, financially intelligent, that are financially fit, that are mentally fit. And so, like, I think it's it's great advice. And that's what, you know, coming from your study, right? I'm your student, essentially, like from the very beginning, but learning from you over the years and just some of the stuff that I was exposed to in early Vivint years was very pivotal in how I made my choices and how I viewed those things. And I've always viewed like, you know, I, and, and this goal of mine, I have a top 10, but my number one on my top 10 is to have $50 million in personal equity holdings properties. Um, that's, it's a, and it's a huge goal. And one of the things Casey said on one of his podcasts is like, I didn't know exactly how I was going to get to my goal. It's like being in the, uh, in the desert at night, driving in my car with the high beams on. I know I'm on the right road. I can see ahead of me. So I don't quite know how I'm getting there, but I know that studying the game and how other people have gotten there, it is through long-term relationships. It is through having um, investment in, and it is from getting um, long-term investment plans. And like those things are what create wealth in what I've seen. And there's a lot of people just in the seven plus years that I've been in the industry um, that are, are not even, even managers at this point. They're still reps, they're still selling, or they've left the industry because they were so bouncy and they, you, you have to adhere to the fundamentals of wealth and that's investment over time. And whether that's a personal investment, a mental investment, a spiritual investment, a physical, a sweat equity, like to me, that investment has to be paid over time. And so I, I love that. Um, really great. So, um, one of the things that we did, it was interesting for me. Um, we've had a great relationship, man. It's been very dynamic. But when I left you at Vivint, I went into Vivint Plus for a little while with Steven and Dusty. Great guys. The Vivint pay scales back then weren't great. It was sun hours. It was not great. Totally different now. Um, you know, and I went into the dealer program. And so what I lost in those three years that I was in the dealer program was, um, a lot of the times I was the best guy in the room, but I lost a lot of the strategic planning. I lost a lot of the business philosophy. I lost a lot of like, you know, seeing what, what was, what and how things should be done. And I just started knocking doors. Like I'd been knocking doors and alarms and I just became a self-gen closer. And then I went into a dealer program and recorded a bunch of guys that were self-gen closers. And you tried to recruit me away from Arcadia to another company and mm -hmm. you whiteboarded this whole plan about these setters. Mm -hmm. And I had never even heard of it. I had heard of it, but I'm like, I didn't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. And some things changed and you ended up teaching me how to run a setter program. And so, you know, I learned my setter program, my setter closer program from you. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, what have you seen in the evolution in the solar side um, what have you seen in the evolution of the setter closer program? What are some of the things that you've seen that you've implemented that have worked better or not so good um, just in the setter closer program? Because when we started, we used to have all the setters in one room mm -hmm. doing core, and then we would do closers in the other room. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're still doing that, but what, what are the pros and cons? What have yeah. you along so, the way? So, so going back to when 
that that original whiteboard. Mm -hmm. So I, I was asked to go in and consult somebody on their business mm -hmm. and in consulting them on their business, I knew nothing about solar at the time. But what I did know and, and saw very, very quickly is all the money was paid to the closers mm -hmm. and nothing was paid to the setters. They viewed this. They, I think at the time, a lot of people were getting some call center leads and stuff. And what's so unique to the solar world that's not normal in the smart home world is the best guys never want to knock a door. Mm. Uh, they, 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 they like, they feign it. They, there's, there's, they, they're scared of it. They think it's beneath them or uh, maybe a little bit more nicer way to look at it is there was so much margin, so much meat on the bone that they could actually outsource some of that work. Mm. And so I think that's the more generous way to look at it. Yeah. Um, they're just looking at it. There, there yeah. There was, there was plenty of time. The more, the more time I could spend in a house, I'd rather outsource some of the laborious work. Um, and, and you got to understand, I was asked to view this of like how to help save this dude's company. Mm. And so when I looked at it, I also noticed that these same closers continued, although they were paid extremely well, they continued to demand more and more. And every time they demand more, threaten to go to another company, you'd have to give. And I saw him quickly about to lose all his margin mm. and 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 i'm like this has to to go and i'm a big player I, i'm a big like i don't care what it looks like how many accounts somebody does or any of this all i care about is looking at the profit is it mm. profitable and how to maximize profit and so i understand that sometimes you can actually lose volume and make more money mm. it's all about how much you're paying for that volume and so on and so forth yeah and so i had a i, I looked at all this and i come from a philosophy that actually um, I don't undervalue the doors. I value the doors and I value the work very, um, because well, you're a door knocker. It's not just because I'm a door knocker. There was a there was something that I learned. So you, you I'm a big, you're a big mm. proponent of this concept of the sell cycle, which includes when you're producing a, cu a customer, you have to prospect, you have to qualify them. You have to present to them. You have to overcome their objection. You have to close. Mm -hmm. So imagine that sell cycle and, um, I actually view that the majority of the money we get paid for door knocking is due to prospecting, qualifying, presenting, and overcoming objection, not closing. And mm -hmm. where I learned that or where I, 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 I believe where that belief came from is I learned at, um, Vivint with like our inside sales team. I realized how much they pay a closer for uh, versus a closer in the call center versus a closer on the doors. Mm. It was almost like, let's call it 20%. Mm -hmm. And so I started asking myself, where's the other 80% going? Well, do you know where it's going? It's going to Google. It's going to Facebook. Mm. It's going to all of these lead gen sources. Mm. And so that has always resonated with me is, wait, we are so willing to outsource the laborious, Right to Google, to Facebook, to a call center, mm. to somebody who sells leads online. And so in print, and all these people are doing it already. All these closers are, yes, they have door knockers, but uh, like setters, but they're, they're only willing to pay their setters minimum wage. This is at the time, mm -hmm. uh, but they're willing to pay almost $2,000 a deal to a call center or, or higher in all of the, or, or Google ads and all these other things. And mm. so even they valued a lead mm -hmm. they just didn't value a door knocker and and actually they valued it almost up to 
80% of the deal, right? And so I'm like, look, I don't think it's 80% of the deal, um, but I do believe that there is a more fair split. And so we started coming up with a model Mm -hmm. that said, you know what? I value a setter as much as I value a closer. And it was so important to segregate those two mentalities Mm -hmm. because there was also this pressure in the program that a setter would come in, get paid dog shit. And so his only hope was if I perform, I might be able to become a closer. Mm. And I wanted to stop that pressure because if everybody wants to become a closer, then you have all these chiefs and no Indians. And so by, but by separating it and, and making them of equal value, a setter's five minutes with a customer is just as value as his closers one hour and a few weeks of follow up. Mm. And then all of a sudden I could keep people wanting to set because actually I could set more deals in a day than I can close in a day. Mm-hmm. And actually financially, it's better to now be a setter mm-hmm. and I can create it and I can create this pressure. And then if I understood if we have an unlimited amount of setters, it's easy. And, the, and, the, and we have, if we have an unlimited amount of sets, it's really easy to hire a closer. Mm-hmm. He has no leverage over you. He can't go fight you for more margin. He can't do all this because if he wants to, he's easily replaced because there's anybody else that would come out here come to in. take that job, never knock a door, get two, three leads a day. Yeah. And and so that was, it was at two points. It was one to properly align the behavior with reality mm-hmm. and with market. And it was very bold at the time. Nobody was doing it, if you remember. They do remember. And you and me, made, you, me yeah. Misty, and yeah. Jeremy, we made a ton of money doing it, mm-hmm. right? And also our people made a ton of money doing it. Yeah. And that philosophy is now percolated over to Vivint that that's how we value it. The set or the close are the same. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to me because I ran that. Um, I've been running it that way ever. That's what's been so cool about our relationship is there's been so many pivotal times in our relationship that – You've helped me adjust my thinking and you have a really, um, a, a really cool way of like quantifying complicated subjects for me, um, that just are, I can just, they're interchangeable. I can use them in multiple aspects of my business, but that I can just execute on. So mm-hmm. I love that. Um, man, I had another one that I just wanted to talk that about. That was a too. long answer too. No, that was great. Um, so one of the things that, um, and I've talked about this on some of our other podcasts, mine was, you know, I, I've, I've gone through different maturity levels in, in my career as a leader and, um, in almost every aspect. And, you know, one of the, speaking of the old podcast where I introduced Zach Ross, one of the relationships that was kind of pivotal in my, in my career was the separation that I had with Zach Ross because we had a podcast together. We were in business together and, you know, we, um, got into you know court with the podcast and we had operating and it was, you know, it was just, it was a nightmare and it was a pivotal point for me because, you know, I had had other people leave me and I, for me, I can't speak for anybody else. My emotional maturity level has increased greatly year by year by going through breakups and situations with people and arguments and different things. Like I've, increase my maturity level out of a necessity for personal peace, but also in a need to operate better with other people. Um, but I had, you know, I was trying to overcome this thing and, you know, we were going through court and, you know, um, I called you and you're like, you just need to settle because you're, first of all, you were like, how do you feel emotionally? And I'm like, it's awful. But one of the conversations that I had with you that was very 
impactful to me was that you, you know, cause I'm like, man, I, I get upset with these people when they leave and they don't leave the right way and they don't come and they don't talk to me and they don't, you know, I have this expectation of how they should act. And you said, you know, the, the problem is Lee is that the way you're thinking of it, you have to think that sometimes they've never been through a breakup. Sometimes mm-hmm. they don't, they've never been involved with this much money and they don't understand it. So I, I wanted to unpack that with you here mm-hmm. because that was so impactful to me. And, you know, you've had people come and go, it's, it's part of, we, we all have, it's literally part of the industry, but yeah, just that topic. Like what's your experience been with like your emotional maturity level and your paradigm of dealing with other people when, because when I've looked at it and I'm like, they, they just might not know how to do it maturely. I mean, there's a lot of reasons. Um, but, and, and I've had major maturity at this area cause I was horrible at it. Mm. Um, every, and, and I think there's an empathetic side of me that, that, um, that, uh, I didn't know how to safeguard. I didn't know how to proper boundaries around my own. Like for me, truly, um, sometimes, it's, it's, it's a, it's a really good retention tool that was taught to me by my, my, my mentors and stuff where you, you create a culture that where you actually start to look at everybody as if they're your own family. Mm. And I think that's great. And I, I feel like there's a lot of positives by viewing everybody that you're responsible for as like your family. I think there's also a lot of negatives to it, mm. right? Because actually there's also a, the, the business side of it. So sometimes you get taken advantage of, sometimes you get hurt, but also um, like when somebody leaves, it feels like losing a brother, a son, a daughter, a whoever. Yeah. Um, and so um, sometimes I guess that motion we might be feeling had nothing to do with the rep, but this own level of expectations we've created based on, the the culture and the belief system we've adopted the way that we engaged in yes. the relationship yeah and so and and then and then i think that there's a wake up of wait like were we friends were we family is this a betrayal is or is it just really what it is it's just somebody moving on to a different job yeah um and so i think we yeah at least that's been my experience um and uh and I think that's also been hurtful too at times, even with people at, at my own company I've seen like, like, Hey, they might end up breaking a policy and getting fired. Mm. And this wake up of like, wait, but like, what about the 15 years I gave you? Or what about this or that? And it was like, I'd committed one thing. Look at all the good I'd done. It was like, yeah, but like we mixed it. This isn't, this isn't family. This isn't bros. This is a company mm-hmm. and there's policy and there's risk and reputation and, and yeah, you had 15 years here, but like your one move could move the market cap by 50 million bucks. Like, yeah. and, uh, and so, yeah, I think on all, I, I, I think sometimes we forget that this is business and this is a company. And, and I say that it's business, not in a way, I, I don't mean by we should be shitty people and unkind and uncompassionate, but like, uh, we also need to not overthink. Over engaged. Yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 I dig what you're saying. I mean, it's, I love what you said about safeguards, right? And it was just a little piece that you had in there, but I think it has a lot to do with that. It's mm-hmm. like putting, 
you know, I think we learn safeguards by going, by not having them and the water, just the emotional water just pours in and you're like, actually in certain relationships, I need to put up some sandbags. This is a business relationship. I can still love you. I can still pour into you. I can still care about you, but I have to engage in this with some level of business authority and have those safeguards for myself. Well, and I'll, 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 give you an example so of how that mentality also gets me in trouble got me into trouble mm. in a way or, or or led me down behaviors that like i'm not as proud of so like yes i had this mentality that all these people they're my family great they all got lots of benefits out of me for that mentality and it was very fruitful and productive and we talked about some negatives that it could but one day i was like having some realization and i'm like something clicked with me. I'm like, wait, I'm, I'm out here teaching all these amazing principles and developing all these kids. Am I given that level of investment into my own child, mm. my, my actual biological son? And it, and I was very disappointed in my self reflection of that answer mm. because I wasn't. And I, and I, I, I was putting him almost as equal playing field or a little bit less. Like, you're my child. You're, you get plenty of me. These, these kids were for more trouble backgrounds and so on and so forth. And I had to realign my priorities, right? That actually this is my family. This is my wife. This is my son. This is my brothers and sisters and making sure that I'm doing the proper investment into them as well as my business responsibilities and, and the, and, and I'm developing them to make them better leaders mm. because that's my role and responsibility, not because I'm like your blood brother. Mm. Does that make sense? And not, and not saying that blood, that blood, I'm not, I'm not trying to deep, um, lower them, but my mind and my psyche and the belief system I had adopted mm -hmm. led me to, um, some malinvestment. Yeah. I think. Well, and, and more emotional trauma too. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. That was a, it was a big one for me because, um, you know, I, it, it's, this is it. It's this, it's our, our job can be emotional and there is a lot of investment, but I think that, you know, to become, you know, an, I describe, you know, the difference between, you know, a rep and an operator. It's much like a Marine and a Navy SEAL, right? We talk about frogmen mm -hmm. a lot. I think that, you know, my focus has become, become an operator, like increase my recruiting cap and increase my skill level. And to me, a lot of that has to do with my um, paradigm, how I view the job, how I engage in the job, how I act emotionally in the job, right? Being more attractive to more people, creating more of a safe space, but then engaging in that, like my job is to um, teach. It's to, I, I may be with you for a short time or a long time, um, but I'm going to end job, you know, and also what recently has really changed for me in, in that engagement is it's like my daughter. I'm not her friend. I'm her father. And my job is not to make my daughter comfortable all the time or give her everything that she wants all of the time. Sometimes I have to make, help my daughter make tough choices and I have to have, you know, um, show her the way when she doesn't know the way. And it's really been the same with leadership for me. I really start to understand that a lot of the time my job is not to make my team members comfortable. In fact, when I'm making them comfortable, I'm doing them a disservice. It's to make them a little bit uncomfortable, to set their standards higher, to raise the ceiling, to get them to do what they need to do, to make them push forward. 
And as a friend, it's really difficult to do that. But as a leader, when my paradigm is my job is to serve you and to serve you, I need to show you how to do harder, more, um, I just need to show you how to do harder things more often, um, whatever that is. And so it's been a great paradigm shift for me. So talking about recruiting, man, I'm just sitting here thinking about some of the people I know. Um, man, I could go into recruiting with you. Dude, a lot of the way that I recruit, John, is sitting next to you at, um, you know, I used to set and you'd go like, you know, we'd have an alarm guy or some guy. I just go listen to you. And I remember just watching you and listening to you create in a recruiting meeting, just qualify, 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 gather a bunch of information and then use it to, you know, close the, and a lot of what I do today in my recruiting has almost everything to do with what I learned from you in some of those initial meetings. So, um, on recruiting, what, what what's important to you for a recruit? Like, what are you looking for? Because at this point in our career, like one of the things I feel really lucky about is that I get to choose the people that I want to work with. I don't have to just work for anybody. Um, what are what are you looking for? You know, because we've talked about what should a rep look for in a company. What should leaders look for in quality people? I don't know. I feel like I feel like. Um, there, there's a book called stealing fire. I don't mm. know if you ever read it, but it's, um, one of the chapters in the book, they were talking about this, like this, they, they call it stealing fire because you've heard the, the phrase, like somebody in basketball, they're on fire. They can't miss, you know, that, that's getting to that state where just like everything is just magical and working out. It's right. And, and, and the whole book is like how to get to that state more frequent and purposeful. Mm. But also um, there are certain qualities like that they do with Navy SEALs. Like they've, they've tried to like look at DNA. They've tried to look at all these different like things that they could do to maybe judge a book by its cover. Mm-hmm. And what they found is that they, they really can't. And so they have this bud system and they really – a lot of the guys who look all beefy that you think would absolutely make it yeah. don't. And the ones that you, there's a plenty of surprises of the ones that you don't think would even have a chance do. Yeah. And there's just something in their nature of, I'm going to figure this out. Some I'm not going to give up and so on and so forth. And yeah. so I have completely lowered my, I, I become more humble, I guess, mm-hmm. in my assessment process, mm-hmm. realizing that, um, I don't think that there is anything I can look for. They mm. got to just go through the system mm. and let the system wash them out or, or they'll survive. And, mm. and so I, I'm thinking of one person, um, actually, actually, um, uh, my, my wife's sister, uh, uh, wanted to do this job and like, Look, I think anybody can do it, but I also think females have a tougher time long term doing this. I think that we're getting past the initial phase. Mm-hmm. Once they once they figure it out, they I think they thrive better than most men. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, but I'm like a lot of different things. I'm like, I know how many people wash out. I know how many people do all this, mm-hmm. but I also will never tell somebody no mm-hmm. if they are willing to do the work and if they're willing to show up on time and and. Uh, and it was really sad to watch mm. the one month one, no, zero. And there's no money coming in. Mm. Month two, zero. And there's no money coming in. Mm-hmm. Month three, zero, <laughs> no money coming in. Yeah. I think it almost went four to five months. 
no money. Mm. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, should we just like tell her it's like time to like, Cut. hey, just it's just not for everybody, yeah. right? Like it's time to move. And then January hit and she ended up dropping like six. And six in solar is a lot of money. And all mm -hmm. of a sudden it's clicking and bop, 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 bop. And, uh, and you can't rob somebody of that experience. Mm. Um, like she was willing to, she was willing to show up. She's willing to do the work and she was willing to make no money. Mm. Um, and, and, and so I, I actually believe anybody can do this job. I just don't think most people are willing to go long enough to survive that gap. Mm -hmm. the, 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 it's like, it's like death Valley. Yeah. If you can get past death Valley, mm -hmm. you're going to be, you're going to be great. And, yeah. and sky's the limit. And so, um, yeah, I just don't. And I don't think a lot of people can for other reasons. They don't have bills. Like they, they have bills and they can't, they can't go four months without a check and yeah. so on and so forth. But if you can, I actually think every person who can get across death Valley will win. Will win. And some people's death valleys three days, yeah, or no days. I some people are coming five in months. for me. It was weird. I have a weird, you know. I was back in our office back then. It was um, the two top people in the office were um, Pat mm -hmm. and Jeremy. Mm -hmm. And Jeremy had Justin Mott, and they were doing the new homeowners. Mm -hmm. I remember sitting at a, a table with you at Joe's. Mm -hmm. and I, I was this. at their limo company, and, and you know, Justin's got his you know spotty open. He's like, I just drive to these dots, and I show him this doorbell camera, and I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, I make like 150 grand, and I'm like, but so it was it was Jeremy and Justin. So Jeremy had been with you longer, and Justin was they were doing new homeowners, and I went with Pat to do the takeovers, and I remember my first day out selling, and then I think my first week I did um, seven, and it was it was a weird thing for me, but I worked a lot too. Mm -hmm. I mean, I. And I remember I trained with Pat Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Pat got me a deal on Thursday and Friday. I had the ADT sign in my a plant in my house for years. And then I went out and I remember my first house, I was on the phone with you and I told her, of course, I'm the alarm manager because that was the pitch and I'm calling you for everything. But, you know, I just went out selling. And so, you know, I, I see other people, they come in where there is that gap. And it's like, I think I just had some of, you know, just from the way that I grew up and being in the limo company for so long, I just had some of those almost intangibles of communication and then just the kind of grit to go out and do it. And I, and I, I've seen that same thing where people just take longer to catch because some people don't speak metaverbal like at all. Yeah. It's a weird, I, I think, I think, um, I, I think there's an advantage, a lot of advantages you had too. So one, I think, I, I don't know how much everybody on here knows your past. I won't get into it they all, know, but yeah, I, you can but, be, I, but you, you've it. had, you, you had plenty of things um, to kind of prove that that death Valley grit to get past mm -hmm. already existed. So mm -hmm. like it might've been revealed to you earlier in life mm -hmm. that you have that. Whereas a lot of these kids have never been tested to that degree. So they don't know if they have it or don't. Mm. Okay. Or I think everybody does have, it. I think everybody just gives up before, before. Right? but so, so, and, but when you find it, it's like, it's like, um, I don't know. It's like you see God, like, like mm -hmm. there's something that changes in you after that, mm. that will impact the rest of your life. Yeah. And so my urging to anybody who ever does this, like, look, you might think your bills are expensive. No, not finishing and not finding that realization, that that deep thing that like you, you, about yourself is yeah. way more expensive. It's going to cost you the rest of your life, not mm. just your rent and your okay. children's lives. Yeah. Too, I think. So 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 I think you have that advantage. But the, here's the other reason why personal recruits, like from your own network, are the best. Mm. 
is because you walked into a, a recruiting meeting and you had two people you know that do this really well. Mm -hmm. And you were able to size them up and kind of internally be like, if they can do it, I can do it. Mm -hmm. And so that, that I think you also entered this with a high degree of belief that even if you were to face opposition, you would have been like, I know it must be something I'm doing. I just need to figure it out. Mm. Versus an in, if somebody comes in from Craigslist, Indeed, or any of that, they don't know everybody from Adam. They don't have trust that this is real, that this is possible. Mm. Everything we do and the money we make is really too good to be true unless mm -hmm. you know it. Mm -hmm. So I think I think a lot of that w worked to your benefit. That's a good paradigm, man. I've, I've, I've never – I feel like I've heard you say that before, but just re-listening to it, um, you're right. It's it, it does have a lot to do with it. Because I remember thinking like if Justin could do it, and for sure not to under, undermine Mott, because Mott was – to me, on doors, Mott's one of the goats. He's just mm – -hmm. he, has, he has an – it's hard to explain. You, he's 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 like Danny Pessy. You're not going to mimic him. Mm. He's Mott, right? Mm. But it was like this high degree of like trust that if he could do it, I really felt like I could do it. And then I remember asking you, like, how long do you knock? And you're like, in, in as long as you want to make money. Mm. And I just remember thinking that I could do it. And I remember thinking my first year that I had made 110 of the limo company, and I just needed to make that. And I remember you gave me a bridge. Mm. And you're like, if you don't make this much money in a month, I'll pay you this much money. And I called you back and I asked you for a few thousand dollars more on the bridge. And you said, I'll do it. But I never, I, I don't, I don't think you're going to need it. And I never needed it. And it was just that it was just having it. And then my paradigm. So I love that. So it's the high degree of trust. Um, this talk, I want to talk about the paradigm of entering the job mm -hmm. um, because we talked before the show and um, when I came on, it was, we're going to meet in the Jones office. And, you know, that place was, that place was gritty, man. I still, I still like, I still have fond memories of that. Mark and J-Mo and man, JJ just passed away. So unfortunate, but um, Despain and Mott and Pat and Jeremy and you and like the carpet was curling up and it was dirty, dude. And, and we were just... You call the SEAL team. We were chucking the shit out of alarms, dude. And the way that I entered the industry was you telling me what work was. And work was, we work six days a week. On Saturdays, we and I used to bitch because the coffee shop was all the way in Henderson. Mm -hmm. And you were like, if you're just going to, you know, it, but... It was, we're going to, we're going to knock six days a week. And I remember like on Saturday, it would be like Super Bowl and Pat and everybody would be like, and we just knocked, you know, seven, eight, nine hours a day, five, six, six days a week. Um, and, and that's just how I entered the job. And I see like a lot of managers now, and I'll, I'll, I try and work with my people is they, they give this weird paradigm of the job. Like you just come in, it's kind of relaxed. And I'm like, I think the way that people enter the job is is very important so what was what's your paradigm of well, that well first off uh, just if if you thought mine was pretty strict and 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 uh and and uh militant uh, i'm probably one of the more lax ones at the event <laughs> yeah. really like neil neil rogers who absolutely i think he's the greatest goat of all time i mean he there's there's thinking sixty five thousand alarms every year like just out of out of florida like just the most militant Jeez. group um out there but what but what what was what i think what we were talking about was um 
like for you coming in, it was not normal, mm. right? It wasn't normal. You're, you're coming from a completely different industry, but because it was new, we were able to set and establish what normal was. Mm -hmm. And our normal was it's six days a week. Mm -hmm. It's eight, nine hours a day. And if you enter into this culture, all those who are, are doing it were, were not just doing well, they were doing extremely well. Mm -hmm. And so it was very easy to kind of say, you know what, I'm going to maybe trust what they know what they're doing and so on and so forth. That's the alarm world. And that's mm -hmm. where I think like, the alarm guys are better trained, better, better skilled, better, uh, better salesmen and closers is because the time that they're beating on their craft is just greater. Mm. Um, but in your, it, but there's a, this other side in the solar world that's happened, which is, um, it, what I would argue is a softer culture. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe, I believe it comes from, uh, a higher commission product that you could actually kind of like tweedledee tweedledum like get through the month and pay your bills with mm -hmm. just one or one two, or two deals. deals yeah and so there's not this intense pressure to have to work 60 70 80 hours a week mm -hmm. to make your money but the flip side is yes you can pay your bills but the whole concept that, that is talked about in outliers that to become an extra, you need 10,000 hours. Yes. You're, you're just going to take longer to, so longer to learn it. Like I remember giving an example, like one day I wanted to run a, like I was just at the gym, totally out of the blue. I never had ran a marathon and I'm just like, you know what? I ran six miles. I'm like, why don't I just run 24? Mm -hmm. I'm already six in. Why don't I just do 24? So just on the spot, I decided 25, whatever it is. I looked it up while I was going 24, 25 yeah. miles. Um, and, and eventually I started getting tired. And so I'm like, oh, well, well, like I didn't say I need to do it at a certain amount of time. Mm. So what if I just like go from, you know, seven miles an hour and I, why don't I just lower it to three? Mm. And I remember watching on the treadmill that when I did it, it said, oh my gosh, it, I'm only going to at three miles an hour. Um, I, I, this is going to take me like, uh, this is going to take me like eight, nine hours. Yeah. Like this is going to take me eight hours. Mm -hmm. And, and, and it, and it was very, as I slow down, it's going to take me Dramatic. longer. And as I go up, it's going to be done shorter. Mm -hmm. And I had to ask myself, do I want eight hours of pain or do I want, you know, three hours of pain? And mm -hmm. then I went really quickly, went it up and I just dealt with the pain. Mm. And I think that's the problem of like in, in, in the solar world is because it is so easy, so soft, so whatever, not easy, but what I mean, you can get by mm -hmm. easily, easier, easier. You can yeah. get by with less work easier. Um, but the downside is, is this guy is going to learn better and faster and be way more ahead long-term mm -hmm. in his own personal development mm -hmm. than this guy. And so then what happened, because I believe money became easier a lot of not so good disciplined leaders went into solar, mm. started organizations, brought their bad habits and so on and so forth. And by no fault of their own, their people are making money. They're even making great money, but their level of business acumen and stuff like they probably, a lot of people view like how much they make as like a scoreboard of how good of a businessman they are and so on and so mm -hmm. forth. 
And it's not necessarily true. I agree, especially in solar. Uh, yeah, especially in solar. And so uh, there's a lot of um, self-deception that's going on. Mm-hmm. And and then also, well, because I'm making good money, my ideas must be the best. Mm-hmm. Therefore, the way I run correlation of one day a week or two days a week and guys just phone in must be superior or must be good. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's a lot of people just believe in their own bullshit. Mm-hmm. How many days are you running core now? Every day. Me I never too. stop. Me never too. stop. Me never stop. I mean, we do five days instead of six days because my guys run year round. Yeah, but every, every day. Every day. It's funny because um, I, I tried. So I ran core for five days because of you mm-hmm. for years. And then there was like a year that I ran it a couple days. And the numbers are so dramatically different. And I run, you know, and so and this is what I this is what I've determined too, though. Is you know my closers, it's deals above all. If a, if a closer's in a deal, go to the deal. Um, you know, and closers, in my experience, they they you know they'll get you know they all start to gripe about core, and you know what I've started to help my closers understand from my paradigm is that we're not doing core for you, we're doing core for the setter. Because when I look back at my first year, man, when my feet would hit the ground in the morning, I was terrified. I was like, my bills, I bageled, I this, I that, the doors, the da, 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 because my skill level wasn't there. And the reason that, the only reason I was rookie of the year, in in my opinion, was because I was so terrified, financially terrified, that it just pushed me to just knock. And we had core five days a week. And on Saturdays, the coffee shop, the times I would show up, I would always go knock, but I would always knock. Um, but I would wake up terrified and I would get to core and we would rah, rah, and we would do the claps and we would do the sales cycle and everybody's there with their polos on and everybody, you know, I remember when Cap rolled up in his Cadillac with his cup of coffee and the different guys and, you know, there's all this stuff. And as, as a setter to me, the setters need core five days a week in solar because they wake up terrified. They wake up with financial insecurity. They wake up with anxiety. And if they're just left to toss their shirt on and go to a meeting or a zoom one or two times a week and go out and deal with that on an individual level, it's the same as, you know, knocking more doors. It's the same as running a marathon in three or five. I want to accelerate their education mentally, spiritually, physically, financially. Like, and I need to get my hands on them so I can get a hold of that fear and that anxiety as much as possible. And I've kind of, you know, my, my teams operate like that based on you. And I've had guys come to me and they go, uh, you know, people said, I don't want to, you know, be on your teams because, you know, you guys are doing core so much. And I'm like, to me, it's a, it's a bunk philosophy and it's based on a selfishness of a more accelerated door to door rep because they're only looking at what serves them. Like I, I can, and I tell my people, guys, I don't need to go to core. I've been going to core for seven years for five days a week. Yeah. yeah. See, see, though, I, I agree with everything except I believe uh, it is for you. It is for the closer. It is for everybody. Mm-hmm. It's and 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 this is and this is what I mean by it. So cool. If we're just focusing on hey sales repability, mm-hmm. great. Um, we got to clock ten thousand hours. Great. Yeah. And then, and so every me, every time we don't have a meeting, there's an hour or two lost in their development. I got to clock you 10,000 hours, but it's also for, um, uh, that's rep development. Mm. What about leadership development mm. or, or trainer development? Every time you're tr- 
be the, as the trainer, the deliverer of information, you're clocking 10,000 hours to become a better trainer. That's right. True. And then same, are you an expert trainer or not? Well, I need to practice. And then same mm. thing with the closers, same thing. Are they developing their guys, their closes, their, their, their opportunities? I think there's this, there's this pressure to, point. I just need to learn the basics and I don't need to learn anymore. Mm. And I know a lot of people in, in life that literally get to 40, 50 years old and really have a philosophy of I'm set in my ways. I don't need to learn. Mm. And those guys like, like, you're tough to build with average and, 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 and that's um, now I do believe that some of the complaints come from is, is it new content as I get development, but I, I really believe if it was understood or taught that way that like, look, now you get a clock your 10,000 hours in this category mm. and you need to come in and start realizing that. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to develop all of you. Yeah. Um, so I, I love, I actually love, mm going to correlation to this day i do too i still do too Mm -hmm. i I love it like i love i love um i love feeling connected i love being around the team i love seeing them i love hearing them i love the rants i love the chants i love the claps i love the like it's such a it's you know after all these years it's it's such a part of me and you know what i've a lot of the times what i know it's usually the lowest producers the bottom 20 percent, and they're you know their big toe always hurts about something that are complaining But. Well, Elon Musk, like he, he's really big that like you have engineering, the engineers and the designers. Mm. He's now like, no, the designers need to go on the damn roofs. They mm. need to be in the factory because they could design something that this, that actually makes it difficult for the engineers and vice versa. Mm. So it's the same thing in clothes. No, I need you to be, I'm not as, I don't knock as many doors anymore, like ever. But by going daily, it allows me to be connected to the to as close to the doors as possible, as mm-hmm. close to the feedback as possible to mm-hmm. the guys that are. Well, it keeps a pulse too. Yeah. It keeps a pulse. I love that. So not too many more questions, man. Um, so it was funny because I just released a, um, a video on Instagram and it was me training the sales cycle. Okay. And I always start my video when my, in my training, like, first of all, if anybody doesn't know the vivid, training manual to me is the greatest manifesto ever written in and it's online just go look at it and so a lot of my my sales cycle decks i just pull off the sales cycle picture and put it right on there because it's it's so pivotal but that's not only the core of man it is the core of everything that i do in this business it's the core of my recruiting it's the core of my training it's the core of my retaining it's like sale like where am i at in the sales cycle with this Mm -hmm. person so you're in my eyes one of the masters you taught me the sales cycle and so just talk sales cycle for a minute and the importance of like understanding like processes of teaching because what i see a lot is and and not to discount these guys at all, but I see a lot of like the Danny Pessies or the Taylor McCarthy's or the um, Michael O'Donnell's and they're amazing salesmen, but they have these very, the Justin Mott, this very specific personality that's almost impossible to emulate. Nobody's going to be Danny Pessy, dude. That dude just wear a Gucci suit with a, you know, vivid alarm box around his neck. Like he's a comedian. I want to teach my people the core of sales, like how to actually sell, how to progress through, and then allow them to adapt that to their personality. Um, so just sales cycle and, and, and teaching, like mm-hmm. from your paradigm. Yeah, no. So I I, uh, I know what you're talking about. And all those individuals, phenomenal salespeople. Yep. Um, uh, and there's a lot to learn from them. Absolutely. The That being said, I believe that there's kind of two different schools of thoughts that one is sales is like an art 
And, you know, every sales experience is a little bit different mm. um, because each individual is different. And being able to kind of surf the situation with the customer and connect with them. And these individuals are extremely in tune and are able to connect quickly and adapt quickly. Mm. And, and so so I, I would say they tend to be a little bit more like the school of thought that sells is an art. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a little bit more technical and I see plenty of patterns and I actually believe that sales is a science. And actually these people expressing it as an art are actually following underlying scientific principles in their application without maybe knowing it and doing it deliberately, Mm -hmm. but they are doing it. And so I just believe like, Hey, look, if I can properly understand the cell cycle, each principle, each step, each psychology under like, like, like what is actually happening at each step and why it's happening. I could then help an individual um, map out their whole experience, kind of like a play, like an NFL play. Like I know exactly what's going to be ran, and I know exactly what's going to happen if I do X and Y. Mm. Um, you could be a lot more tactical mm. and a lot more specific, and with less error, and it's duplicatable. Yes, and so that's the coolest part. Is like, and when you wanted to scale, I I built my whole business model, if you will, out of I actually don't like experienced people. I like new people. Why? Because I have an ability to train new people and and I uh, and therefore I have no fear of loss when an experienced guy leads because I can, I can have another baby, right? Yeah. And I can have tons of baby. I can train a hundred people at a time. You know so how to make so people. Forth. Yeah. And I can give them and I believe new hires I, I so the whole system and training style that the cell cycle brought was an ability to train everybody the same way Mm -hmm. that way they're almost interchangeable so that like when one is struggling they know how to fix the other and vice versa Mm -hmm. and i don't know i wanted them to know the cell cycle so they're almost like this self-improving ai Mm -hmm. that if i understand the principles i don't need to call my boss i could just walk myself back identify where i messed up self-improve and go forward Mm -hmm. man there is so much of me you in me i just I just did a training last week on the sales site and just, it, it's amazing to me to rehear you talk about your principles because when I look at my success, I attribute so much of it to the way that you taught me. So like my, my closers deck, it's based off the sales cycle. It starts with legitimacy, personal legitimacy, company legitimacy. Then I immediately go into qualifying so that I can reveal any objections so that I can present correctly based on what the person is saying, relieving pressure the entire time. And I've taught all of my closers um, that teach their closers that teach their closers the same thing. And so when, you know, I'm dissecting one of the closers, I can say, okay, where are we, where where is this mistake happening? And I can teach them how to go in and self-diagnose from the sales cycle. And I just did a training on door to door on the sales cycle, like literally like making a mistake on a door and then pivoting on the next door based on tracking your conversation, where it went. Did, did I prospect correctly? Did I qualify correctly? Did I try and present based on information that I didn't qualify or uncover an objection correctly? Did I actually try and close? And then we can just reverse that. And it's it's so simple in its essence, but complicated 
in, in the sense of how much you have to know to really master it. But the more that I've taught people the sales, because literally my, all my sales decks that are just on just training, I don't care if I'm training on prospecting, qualifying, presenting objections or closing. It's all based on the sales cycle. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've, I've gone online and, and you just Google the Vivint training manual and it's on there and you can read it. And it's just so, you know, thank you so much for that, um, for the training and just all the, the, just everything you've ever done. I'm very appreciative of it. So, um, to close, um, and thank you for, you know, just spending this time with me. It's always impactful. What do you, what, what's your advice, um, to, you know, people in their first, you know, one, two, three, four, five years in the industry, you know, maybe they're not necessarily struggling, but looking for, you know, cause I, I think like for me, I have a really long-term vision and goal of what I want. Like I want bigger things and I've, I've, I've understood some things, but what are your advice for people earlier on in their careers? Um, just overall, like what, what have you seen that's important? So I've, I've been blessed by having really good mentors Mm. um and so my i guess one of the first things i would do is find a mentor in my industry Mm. and and value that relationship um give back to that relationship and also savor that relationship and um don't view it as something that's easily replaced Mm. Um, because i think so people so many people will discount it like i actually would take less money for better mentorship Mm -hmm. right i mean hell why do people in college go to an unpaid internship right it's i want to i want to get my foot in the door i want to do this i cannot overstate the value of the mentors that i've had Mm. in saving me for myself in developing me in in guiding me and the principles like you mentioned some of the ones i've instilled in you mm-hmm. the ones they've instilled with me are, st- are still there mm. um i would i would not chase the money i would chase the opportunity i'd water where i'm at instead of look over the fence mm. um as long like as long as i have a mentor like as long as i me- have a mentor that is so rare to have and so not easy to replace. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, it, yeah, 100%. I think the, and I, I, I say this to people, but the least way that I can pay you is money. Mm-hmm. And the biggest way that I can pay you is knowledge. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm here due to a lot of, you know, what I learned from you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, just learned I mean, digital mentors. Um, but the personal mentors have helped me, ex- you know, just, accelerate who i am as a human being so i love that advice yeah and if and if you don't have a mentor yet like ask somebody go up to them that somebody that you look up to in your space and be like look would you be willing to mentor me Mm. and you'd be shocked and then if and if you don't have one yet go find books and like make those make i don't know make rant cardone your mentor until you can have one or Mm. make you know uh uh jim collins or brian tracy or or whoever, make them your mentors yeah. until you have one personal. I love it. John, we're, we're at time, man. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you for coming on, brother. I appreciate it so much. Um, you're not on social, so mm-hmm. if, if anybody doesn't know you, um, tough shit for them yeah. and good for me because I get to call you. Yes. So I love you, brother. You Thank too. you for everything, and I appreciate it. Me too. Awesome.